Welcome to the Road to Open Science podcast, your guide to everything open at Utrecht University and abroad. Today, no normal regular episode, but a holiday special, which I'm making here together with my friend Felix over here. Hello. We met in the last episode, and we also have no newsy news. We'll just jump straight into the subject, which is the cultural and personal aspect of open science, or maybe in other words, who are these open science people anyway? So as you might have noticed, me, myself personally, quite enthusiastic about open science, mm -hmm. but I've also felt that it sometimes feels like there's no boundaries and somehow everything is open science suddenly. Everything is rosy, everything is good. And there must be more to life than that. So maybe we don't appreciate the nuances and different opinions within the movement clearly enough. That is why we are here today with Susanna and Martijn, both historians of science. Hi. Hello. And both deeply involved in the open science programs. And they are today with us to talk about a project called Faces of Open Science. Felix, take it away. Yeah. So why did you even feel the need to go deeper into this and to understand what phases there are in this movement? Yeah, well, taking a step back, I think it's it's worthy to say that the open science movement really uh, originated in the last uh, last decade from about three three movements, right? So the science and transition movement, enthusiastic librarians uh, making a case for open science and a better publishing system, and bottom-up bottom initiatives to improve the quality uh, of, of science uh, in response to the reproducibility crisis, right? But... What happened in the last, well, last years is that powerful players in the science ecosystem, especially in the Netherlands, also started adopting this, this notion of open science, right? So uh, funders such as NWO, but also now the executive boards of specific universities in the Netherlands, uh, among others also Utrecht University. Mm -hmm. So it's not really a thing, uh, it's not really, really, really a question of how to, uh, whether, whether to adopt open science, but really to re how to relate to open science, right? And because of that, everybody really likes open science, as it seems, right? It's, it, open science really is the new, new green. Uh, uh, <laughs> hmm. Nobody seems to be against it. Uh, everybody hmm. seems to want, willing to adopt it. But what we saw is that it really suffocates uh, the internal debate. And, and because of that, we really wanted to find out what open science actually is, what it currently is, at least in, at Utrecht University, mm -hmm. um, with, intention, or with attention to the internal differences within the open science uh, movement in order to facilitate sort of a dialogue about the fundamental issues and different values that arise within this community. So instead of defining what open science means, as, as it has been done already, we why try to start listening to uh, to people instead mm -hmm. yeah and i think when we started the project everybody oh no well what happened when we started the project everybody told us yeah you're go you're not going to find any different differences everybody thinks the same about open science we all know everything what open science is all about and um well then we started faces open science <laughs> <laughs> so there really was no conception that there are differences between people there was really this feeling that it's all 
clear and this, there is this one sign, is this monolith? Now, of course, it depends on who you ask. I remember that I had a conversation with uh, a professor who was actually not really into the open science movement, but also but followed science in trans- transition uh, from up close. And um, actually, the result of this conversation, we got to talk about reform movements and also reform movements in science. And the imp- one important conclusion was the question, how do you keep the internal debate Uh, or criticism on the reform movement alive and kicking while the movement is developing itself? And I think that's a really important question. Well, and of course, I really liked it because I'm a historian and a philosopher of science. And basically, that's what we do. Um, So so that was, I I would say that was the starting point for me to think about this, this question, how to keep criticism alive and give it a place within the movement. So when I hear you guys talking about this open science movement as a reform movement, it 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 almost sounds like a battle between Bolsheviks and Mensheviks. I'm not sure. Like how how big is this transition in your point of view as historians of science? So um, yeah, I, I think the idea that science should be reformed is is as old as the the word science actually is. <laughs> so we are we we talk about about when when starting about talking about science, we are also generally start talking about what science is and what it should be and uh, but what what seems to be special now is that specific approaches uh, sort of are combined within a specific uh, notion of open science uh, in, in a specific point in time and also seems to foster and encourage actual change actual actual institutional change that is also specifically related to that concept of open science mm-hmm. but I, but i think the, the, the point of 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 uh, us versus them is is quite important in the open science movement, right? And and mm-hmm. that's also an, I think a, an interesting aspect of why it's important to 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 reflect on on what the meaning of open science uh, is, because usually open science folks together like to like to think of 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 those old conservative uh, um, old uh, white male boomer kind of scientists that should mm-hmm. be um, that should be uh, enlightened and and. And and that is that is also very important for this for this community building as as we've observed. But that also is a way of escaping, uh, looking at the internal differences as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and maybe I want to say something about reform movements. You know, we as historians we have two ways of looking at history. One way that says it's always been the same. Yeah, we can find examples in history that that are similar to movements like this. But we. Uh, I think we took a somewhat different approach because this time we saw, we saw we thought okay we have an amazing opportunity because um, this time we have open science within a concrete university with concrete people that we all know so we have a chance to also investigate its uniqueness and to I would say give the open science movement body and flesh. Mm. So getting into this part of the investigation, I think our listeners are by now thinking, so what did you do? <laughs> yeah, really. uh, so, yeah. So I, I'm guessing from the, the, the liveliness of what you're describing, you didn't dive into reading and doing uh, book studies. The, what, what is this project, Faces of Open Science, all about? Yeah, okay. So the reading and the diving into books, we did that when uh, we uh, received our education at the Descartes Center, <laughs> I think. Now, And what we did for this um, this uh, project was firstly, okay, we're going to focus on the people. We're going to try to get an image of open science by looking at the people who are in it and via those uh, people 
people give it color, give it, I know, I let, as I said, body and flesh and shape. And, uh, well, the thing is, how do you uh, get an image of a movement by getting to know the people? Well, you have to talk to them. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, so this sounds revolutionary. Yeah, it was revolutionary for us as historians. No, but so and so we. <laughs> How did you come we, up with the idea? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> no, um, yeah, we have to. Talk. We thought we we're going to walk and we're going to talk. You have to. The context is, of course, Corona crisis. We all had to work from our homes, and uh, we wanted to um, really uh, have a personal conversation and a personal connection to the people we are going to interview. So we did the walking and talking. Um, it was actually, I would say, quite scenery because we always started at uh, the swimming pool and then we walked into Amelis Weird, which is actually a really, really beautiful surrounding. and Which is still here for our yeah. listeners in the future. Yeah, <laughs> go go there and walk and think about open science while you're looking at uh, the science park. Uh, this uh, gave, gave our bodies some form of reflection and, of course... We also, we prepared the questions really well. We thought it through. And I think if partly part of the answer is what did you do? Yeah, we walked and talked. And the other part of the answer is that we uh, had a form of, uh, we, 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 we turned it around. So usually when you get to talk to people about open science, um, they start immediately to talk about what they think open science is and 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 have a, a turn their vision outward. And what we did was we we first tried to talk about who are you, what kind of career did you have, what kind of experiences did mm -hmm. you have, what can you tell us about your relationship or your path in science? And with science, I mean both science and uh, uh, the humanities. Um, and then we followed that up uh, by asking questions, getting to talking. Okay, how does from your person and your experiences follow how you view science and how you view knowledge, what you think good universities are, and also, of course, what you think bad science is. Um, and if we um, if that follows from the question, who are you, then what do you think knowledge is and how should it be institutionalized? And then we got to talk about op open science and uh, uh, more concrete, uh, having a more concrete um, conversation about the movement. And actually this road from the person to the way they saw universities and knowledge generation or the production of knowledge in general to open science really gave us a really, uh, and it gave us an amazing diverse image, I would say. Yeah, and when I hear this, so I see structures, interviews uh, with a specific focus and attention level. So how many people did you interview? Is it like five or ten? Twenty. Twenty. And, and where were they from? What kind of uh, different people were they? Yeah, well, of course, we had to look at uh, the selection of our interviewees very carefully. So we, we, we knew... If we, if we can only do 20 interviews, we have to be really careful that we select from all the layers in the universities, but also from different approaches or from different academic backgrounds, I would say. And the first question was, are these people somehow active within the movement? And uh, what kind of uh, approach do they have? And do we expect differences? So I, I don't know. Maybe you. Ha I think you have something to add, right? Yeah. I do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So so it's it's good to emphasize that that these people all work at Utrecht University. Yeah. So it represents the open science movement at Utrecht University. But we, well, it it's, it would be worthy to also think about whether it also uh, reflects the open science movement in general. Mm -hmm. well, I think we, we we do. But that is that is something to discuss. 
And I think it's indeed safe to say that uh, all the people that we interviewed are key key players in the open science movement here. So they are also very active and also think of themselves as open science reformers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Maybe can I can also give a small look ahead because that was actually some of the findings we had. We were amazed by the differences, but I think the main communality between all the people we interviewed was they think they were all people that said that, that said something is wrong, and I'm willing to do something about it and take risks. So that's similarities, but you were looking for differences, different faces. Did you find those faces? Yeah, we found a lot of uh, different faces. And uh, maybe it's also important to say that we wanted to st- some- somehow stereotype them. So if uh, we, uh, from the start of this project, we knew we have to have a result with which we can do something. And, well, we both like, I don't know, dra- drama or uh, art or, um, I don't know, uh, theater. And what we thought was, okay, if exaggeration makes things clear. So... We developed um, a method to uh, come to some f- some persona, which means, yeah, I have to have to use to ha- I have to ha- use the word stereotypes because it's the most common word for Maybe these archetype? kinds. Of, yeah, archetypes is also a really good example, but um, archetypes. Uh, cannot necessarily be uh, they don't have to be exaggerated uh-huh. and stereotypes at least what we did they are exaggerated so yes we found uh, different stereotypes that were lingering through all of the interviews so it's not that all the the persona we found and uh, maybe uh, we have for example we have the critic or the scholar or the conformist or the guard all those uh, types do not represent one interview directly, but they are types we found within the interviews uh, by coding them. Yeah, we cl- carefully analyzed them. Yeah, but okay. Yeah, you said you, we found difference. Yeah, we found really interesting differences. Um, I will give you some uh, examples. For example, we have found a critic and a scholar. And you would say... Uh, they are really similar. I think every scholar is a critic and every uh, critic is a scholar. Uh, At least we would hope so. Yeah, yeah. you would hope so because, hey, you know, and you can think, oh, these are people who all like books and stuff. But uh, from the interviews, uh, they were really two different types within the same, I would say, cluster of ideals or set of ideals. And you know that person that if you have the discussion is always saying, yes, but... You should also look at it like this. Yes, but uh, what kind of, um, I don't know, preconditions do you believe in yourself? Well, that's the critic. And uh, the scholar is also someone who likes books, maybe has had the same education, not necessarily, but who's really more paying attention to historical uh, background of the phenomena we are studying. And he is a real, real deeply profound uh, teacher. I would say. So this is a this is an example of of two types that are really near to each other, but there are differences. Um, and maybe I can make it more clear by, 
Well, we saw some form of tensions, right, in the discussions we had. We saw a tension between where people localize change. So on the one hand, people localized change on the individual level. That means they thought we have to change individuals and then we can change science. Or people who more or less thought um, we have to change the system. And then we can change science. So, of course, this is a, it's not an either or, but it's more like an axis. Um, and uh, yeah, I can give you another example because we've uh, found the expert coach. This is um, someone who is had an academic, mostly of the time, most of the time had an academic education in academic infrastructure. And uh, but is also and is a really an expert, but is also walking through the university, supporting all kinds of individuals and in how to deal with that, uh, how to deal with that, um, uh, how to deal with that infrastructure. Oh, like um, I, I have met a guy that is um, doing open access and open data and is helping people to publish their stuff openly mm -hmm. um, because it's still something to learn. That would be this persona, yeah, for Yeah, that's this person. You could also call it third space, someone from the third space. But um, uh, but what's interesting is that this person is actually focusing on the individual. So this person is also mm -hmm. a coach. That's why we call it an expert coach. Mm -hmm. And he or she thinks that um, change is going to happen if you give individuals the proper coaching that they can win. And actually, on the opposite of this archetype or is this stereotype is the architect um, and that's per, that's a person who has an overview of uh, the field but also uh, but 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 he, but that's a per, and and that's not necessarily focusing on the detail he's really busy or he or she is really busy with focusing on the way um, science is governed and he thinks the only way to give open science uh, or to reform science is to focus on the system and to and to to get a, to to come bring into existence existence systematic change um, so this is just one example and there's also another tension and that's um, the tension that you localize change more within academia so you think academics have to change their own, environment we have to change in universities versus the real change should happen outside of academia in society and you could say that the conformist that's the person who who actually is really fond of changing some structures in the way we do science for example someone who really pref uh, is working hard and open access or to uh, share data or information openly but all within existent uh, academic and disciplinary structures um, so this is someone who's actually thinking science is in a way about science and we have to change uh, the way we do science um, versus the visionary, which is actually, this is a stereotype I absolutely love. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's someone, the is, visionary, yeah. Is it you? Uh, no, no, I don't. I, I, I am not one stereotype. Sure, do you have a lot of it? Well, in <laughs> I don't know why I love the visionary so much is because this person is actually already living in the world that is envisioned by open science. So it's already uh, the vision is like already there. Quite inspiring. Uh, these people. Yeah, these people are quite inspiring, but this is really strange because you just asked me if I'm... I don't, okay, yeah, I'm just going to continue. 
uh, no, but what I re really love is um, this person has an absolute love for learning, for science, for research, for knowledge itself. It's really a curious uh, stereotype, which is also envisioning science and society as almost non-different anymore. So, you know, we have these ideal places where everybody can come and bring their stuff to the table and go walk away, whether you have had an education in universities or not, whether you're a teacher, whether you, I don't know, someone from the street. And there's a big tension between um, that, that person sees the change mostly outside, I would say. So I think I've heard six different personas yeah. up until now. How many are there in total? Just a uh, ballpark? Eleven. Yeah, eleven. Eleven. Yeah. Eleven. <laughs> yeah okay. Yeah. And, and my time's only counting. And would you say that you <laughs> that you construed these personas, or have you discovered them? No, and we have discovered them. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, but yes, we have discovered them in in the sense that they also we we try to 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 be in constant dialogue with 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 the transcripts because we we, tra we transcribe these these interviews and analyze them in different ways and 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 constantly try to improve and 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 also find words for these for these stereotypes uh, really mm -hmm. but they are they are still stereotypes so there is some exaggeration involved there yeah and i would say i would say Of course, I say very clearly, we uh, discovered them because we were really careful uh, in the coding of our interviews and what Martijn's saying, that dialogue has as a consequence that everything we've developed is fed by the interviews and by a proper coding and, you know, and shit like that. But also, of course, um, there's a pro point in the process that you have to write the persona and you have to write the stereotypes and that's like, that's... Yeah, that then that's when um, uh, creativity comes into mind because we have to we have to m make them alive. I would say. Yeah, but but it is it is important to emphasize again that, that yeah. we also ask uh, our interviews to to stereotype themselves and yeah. also uh, so we we use that that fra the phrasings they they gave to 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 stereotype themselves quite fun actually and uh, also ask them. Uh, to which other stereotypes they really felt some 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 clear or fundamental differences with respect to the attitudes of changing the scientists changing science so mm -hmm. to say so so that's also where these tensions that Susanna just uh, this mentions uh, mentioned came from yeah so it sounds like there are very many different uh, stereotypes very many different faces is there any way to reduce the dimensions so to say to bring them down to um, uh, Yeah, to bring them into smaller concepts. Okay, yeah, there are two answers to this question. Firstly, we already reduced them because that's just in the that was just in the codings and in the method of coding of our interviews. Martijn looked up where do people where do where do our codings overlap? So that means that when pe when they overlap a lot, that means that you have one stereotype. You cannot make two out of them. That's the first answer to that question. Uh, the second answer to that question is that word that you can find like for some form of saturation in the interviews. That's when you find that you are hearing the same things again or the same answers again. And at some point, I would say, or on some levels, we had have reached uh, saturation. So, so then that's, of course, a form of reduction. 
That have, having said that, I do think that if people in their own universities or in their own movements of open science want to also look at their own persona or try to find out what kind of persona there are in uh, existence in their concrete social and institutional environment, of course, they are welcome to collect and to find out more persona because, you know, it's all about diversity. Mm -hmm. So is it really like those 11 personas are the bedrock and you cannot make them any smaller, you cannot put them together in any other way? Well, as one of the tensions that uh, Susanna mentioned was this difference or in, in, you can say, opinion or, or attitude to where the change or the, 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 the change of the system um, should be located. Is that either outside of, of in, the, in society, outside of the university or within the, uni the university. And what you, what you really see there is that, our, uh, that these persona or these indeed these stereotypes are ultimately tied with the types of, of with certain types of ideal academies uh, that, that they also envision. So what we also found, uh, quite interesting actually, was that there seem to be not only stereotypes of, of, of academic attitudes with respect to CIS to, uh, uh, to reform, but also different ideal academies that are envisioned among this group of science reformers or among this, this group of open scientists. And what, so what we also did was try to grasp these different, um, different ideal academies, exaggerate them, uh, try to give language to to these to these ideal academies and i think that is also a way of of thinking about each persona in to which extent these different persona also relate to have a clear preferences preference for one of these we found four ideal academies mm. that sounds like a whole other topic <laughs> and everything we discussed up until now is already a lot to digest so let's take a little break also for you listener maybe uh, stop vacuum cleaning now and do something for yourself in another way, and we'll come back after break. Hello, dear listeners. Hello, Susanna and Martijn. Thanks for uh, Hi. sticking with us through the break, even though it was short. And uh, we right before, we, uh, we sort of contaminated the discussion about ideal universities that sort of bind these 11 personas in their own corners. And I'm really f eager to find out, Martijn, what kind of ideal universities did you find within these people? Yeah, I, I like to talk about uh, ideal academies. So, so oh. that is maybe a bit more, uh, more, more, more helpful. So on the one hand, there are you could say two uh, ideal academies that uh, that are really focused towards making a connection with society and and also locating the, locating the change uh, in society itself so there is this open community um focused on on open there really means interacting with society also pro problematizing the difference between science and society, and that it goes quite far. So even the, the walls of the university should be broken down. It should be about the co-production of, of scientific knowledge and a real interaction with various publics in specific contexts in which the knowledge is also produced, right? So 
the stakeholders, as, as you can say, uh, are very important. So this ideal academy of the open community is then all about context-sensitive knowledge and require a really uh, engaged research attitude. So, so problems are, are extremely important. So, so then, and I think that those uh, persona that envision this open community are also worried about changing career structures in order to make this this open community happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think the two persona that are mostly profound um, uh, for this open community are uh, on the one hand the visionary and on the other hand the architect. And they are both a persona that look at the field or they have an overview, but they also have some form of tension amongst each other because the architect is someone who is um, who is building. You know, they are uh, the university is a place for workers and he is um, I would say it's a person who is in governance uh, often governance positions but he doesn't like the hierarchy the visionary also doesn't like the hierarchy <laughs> but um, I would say the architect often thinks the visionary is a little bit too esoteric or too exactly. you know uh, about uh, over vague. science yeah. vague and then yeah. when you're talking about hierarchy you you mean the hierarchy within the academy or also this 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 like unspoken of hierarchy between science and society yeah there's no hierarchy between science and society yeah yeah, yeah. and what's profound or what's um, typical for the visionary that's a person who's always thinking also in uh, rituals that that see that the visionary sees the university as a, also as a collection of rituals and uses art to um Understand those. Yeah, and, yeah. and what was this academy called then? The Open Community. The Open Community. Okay, so that's that's the name of this academy. Yeah. Well, the the name that that also we in dialogue you could say with with all these interviews have, have given that that academy. But it is it is substantially different to another uh, ideal academy. The gesloten afdeling. <laughs> no, not that one. Almost certainly also that one. But another one that I was I was <laughs> I was heading towards is. Is what you could call uh, an in the innovation of an innovation center. Uh, it's also an envisioned uh, ideal academy that is, well, where reform is necessary outside of of the, the existing boundaries of the of the of the university that currently exists. And open really relates to being efficient and more effective. So open science is a way to make uh, uh, science more effective. And here the, the reasoning really goes in ways such as well, society is an investor with tax money in uh, uh, in science and also should have return on investment in that in that regard. So what what we need from science and open science is then and then really a means towards that goal is technological innovation that results in socioeconomic progress really as this ultimate goal, right? And also quite interesting, and that's also very different to this open community, is that competition is here not necessarily a bad thing in, mm -hmm. in, this, in this innovation center. Actually, competition can be a driver for excellence, and that's, that's, that really relates to researchers, but competition also refers to competition of the university with other institutions or other enterprises in, uh, in, uh, uh, in, in the, in the cur current complex world. So, for example, an innovation center um, achieved by means of open science here is necessary to compete with Silicon Valley, right? In mm -hmm. technological innovation, for example. Quite, also quite important in this, in this innovation center is that uh, open science should also really increase the scale of, of research and lead to applicable research. So that is, that is the other 
ideal academy that is focused on on making this connection with society way more strong. Yeah, so mm-hmm. if I try to translate that back to like a sentence you might have heard during the interviews that you were doing in Amelis Weert, this would be the per- the person who says, uh, we need to adopt this strategy because it will make us a better university. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. 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 All right. Cool. Yeah, B- better university than other universities. We need this strategy to win. Exactly. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. Uh, if if you say that these two uh, universities are diametrically uh, um, opposed to each other, what would you call the dimension on which those two uh, universities are on the far ends? Yeah. So so I think the the the, uni- the ideal um, uh, academy of the innovation center is is focused on individuals. So on on individual success for a big part, whereas the open community is focused on collective success for a big part. So mm-hmm. we talked about this tension uh, among personas uh, between uh, focusing on behavior change and systemic reform. This is also what you see in the difference uh, between these 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 open uh, uh, open ideal academies mm-hmm. so as yeah. a comparison with the real world that would if, if I say it in an extreme way that's basically communism versus capitalism in an ex- uh, an extreme way in a in, nutshell well <laughs> in, in, a, in a very extreme what what is what is interesting about your comment is is indeed that that you, you can wonder and let's let's put it as a question to, yeah. to also sound a bit nuanced is indeed that um, well, you can ask whether this, this 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 differentiation also correlates with political preference. That 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 might be the case. That would mm-hmm. be a very interesting question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and maybe to give it some body and flesh, one of the archetypes or stereotypes that are uh, mostly uh, fan of the innovation center is the expert coach, and this is really interesting because that's someone who is not necessarily hindered by the institutional hierarchy within a university, but by the bureaucracy within a university. So this is someone who is hindered by our current structures because it cannot just go where where that person needs to go to help uh, researchers, uh, scientists, to become the good scientists that they can be in order to win. Right. I think we've heard about two. Are there more? Yes, there are more. Yeah. So, so those two ideal academies are, are focused on on more externally focused. On the other hand, there are two academies, uh, ideal academies again, and also idealized academies uh, that are focused on changing the current university. That's why I was talking about academies more. Um, on the one hand, there is a sustainable university, and here open really refers and relates to improve conditions of doing research. So this sustain it's it's about all about making uh, science sustainable again, uh, making making science great again al- almost, um, and it, it, it's very very against this idea of capitalizing scientific knowledge. Uh, after all, this this capitalism and commercializing scientific knowledge really corrupts uh, science as a as a as a as a way of producing knowledge. In order to achieve this more sustainable university, in that sense, systemic and very much. Uh, institutional change is required in order to lower work pressure. Work pressure is is very important for those persona that that really envision this sustainable university by uh, less competition, uh, by uh, more funding or changing funding uh, uh, structures, um, or by sustainable HR policies. 
And this is also quite interesting because here HR policies such as uh, the new recognition and rewards has a completely different meaning as as it has in uh, the, uh, the the open community. In the open community, recognition and rewards is a means to achieve the connection with society and reward scientists to, to make that connection. And in uh, the sustainable university, recognition and rewards really refers to making making the team uh, or reward the team in order to lower work pressure and, and to meet the expectations uh, from of, of scientists on an individual level. Mm-hmm. So um, that, that's, that's one side of this, of this sustainable university. And another very important side is this emphasis on fostering research integrity and, and also improve the methods of doing research. So um, we should... We, should, we, we can achieve a sustainable university by, um, by, by open data in order to, to enable uh, um, replication studies, for example. That's also the kind of activities that you found, find in the sustainable university. Mm-hmm. And the last, last thing is quite important, I guess, is that academic education is way more important here as opposed to the other two universities that we, that we have uh, discussed uh, previously. Yeah. yeah. And I think that um, the one really interesting stereotype within this uh, sustainable uh, university is the person we call the guard. Uh, the guard is actually the only stereotype who almost in every case has had a really, really bad experience in their own academic career. And... Um, uh, mostly where uh, power played a very important role in the negative, so so to the bad side of the person who became the guard. Um, you could speak of uh, someone who is who has been bitter, but overcome that and now wants to change um, science. And yeah, first and foremost in on the point of ethics and me- methodology. Yeah. And it, but the interesting thing is that within the sustainable university, also the, there's a stereotype, the conformist. And often that's someone who has actually had a bad influence on the guard because that the conformist is someone who tries to improve science, and the, but within existing structures and all, always have to, that's someone who... Um, who often had to work really, really hard to come to the position where they are. So they want to keep it in place, but still feels a lot of responsibility uh, towards their lab group or towards their group of uh, researchers, most of the time also young research, but still does not want to change the position uh, they're, they're in themselves. And this is really interesting because that's a tension within the same ideal university, I would say. Almost enough reason to split them up. But I think we have one more yes. left, but I, mm-hmm. I just can't imagine what kind of other ideals are still uh, out there. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it, I think it is it is quite a surprising one. That mm-hmm. is what we call uh, the, the center of development. Um, and here open uh, really relates to improving society. And that is quite fake, of course. Um, but here it really refers to education. So... This developmental center of development is uh, all about development of both students and also of researchers. By means of education, this center of development can can create some space, even some some leeway to think about the complexities of of current societies and to to not only think about solutions of these uh, of these problems, but to understand these problems by taking them very seriously. So in this in this center of development, there is lots of space of, of thinking and theorizing about these, these real-world problems. But what is 
envisioned or what is what is thought of as a as a big problem of this of this center of development is a disciplinary structures. So mm-hmm. we should overcome these disciplinary structures and and by means of of real curiosity and take real world problems very seriously and collaborate, uh, do serious serious interdisciplinary research, and in the end, by means of this interdisciplinary education, the, the focus point within the center of development is thinking about citizenship in this current uh, complex world. So improving society uh, through interdisciplinary education. And, uh, and, and that, is, that can also be a part of open, yeah. of open science. And enriching mm-hmm. society with graduates from your academy who yeah. have this set of characteristics well said and uh, well said exactly and well i already went into the the two stereotypes that are present in this uh, de- uh, development center that are the, the the scholar and the critic so but maybe i i thought maybe we can spice this also a little bit bit up by mentioning the negative images we had by uh, with our ideal universities because this de- developmental center or, de- or development center is actually in a way also a positive ivory tower <laughs> yeah or the open community is like well in dutch we say an luchtkasteel an air castle but the english translation fairy tale yeah fairy tale pipe dream pie in the sky and the innovation center that's um a positive factory i would say um uh, and <laughs> the good factory <laughs> yeah and the sustainable yeah the good factory yeah and the sustainable university is like status quo but done better exactly Yeah, that is, is really nice to see the shadow versions of the universities. I think that is a very important part also. Um, but it seems like all those uh, this, those personas, uh, obviously as well, but also the universities, they are partially um, very, very different, and especially the open community. Uh, and so, how does how do we how do we put all of these together? If if people have so different ideals and opinions of what open science means, besides the fact that we are talking. Um, With with the word open science, um, and it seems like it's one, but it's not. Um, how do we put all of these different parts together? And because not, to me, it seems now it's like four horses that are pulling mm-hmm. in four different directions in some way. No, I would say maybe a university can be all of those those things. That's what we are trying to show here. That that the university university or academia can be more than just one thing. We don't. Well, and and I would say it's it's a state of fact, or it's uh, it's um, uh, it shows what's the case, and not necessarily tells us what to do. And more important, I think that that I'm stealing away your point now, Martijn. But more important is that this is a way to keep the dialogue going, because of course there can be more ideal universities, but we have to start and keep on talking about it. What what kind of ideal academ- academias we see or we envision, and also who we are in as researchers or as scientists or as not necessarily uh, scientific staff within such academia. Yeah, Martijn. Yeah, and, and that almost I dare to say is mm-hmm. is a bit of a pol- political project. So so in that sense, I think open science is political because it 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 requires us to ask and and also answer questions about where do we want the universities to go uh, where are they for and and how do they relate to to uh, uh, to society that that is a political project because it it involves thinking about 
uh, about about the ways in which this in which this reform can be achieved, how that should be funded, uh, what what kind of problems are important. Um, uh, so so that requires some collective deliberation as well. Mm-hmm. But but then it is important to understand that there are values at play in the open science yeah. uh, um, that that need to be discussed. Yeah. Yeah. So now one of the notorious problems of science is that researchers researchers uh, often do research, write something down, and then say to the community, well, have fun with my paper. Mm-hmm. Uh, in what ways are you guys going to be ensuring that mm-hmm. this discussion that should be ongoing is going to be ongoing? Yeah, this is a super good question, Siko. I know, man. That's why they made me <laughs> interviewer. Go. Yeah. Uh, no, I think the first important point is is that what would we do? What would we do? What did we do during the analysis and um, with the outcomes? We worked together with an artist. So that means that she helped us envision all of the persona and all of the ideal um, universities, and actually helped us also uh, thinking about these kinds of themes. And this is important because. With those images, they speak very, very clearly, I would say. So I don't know, Martijn, maybe you can tell something about because I already worked with artic- artists before, uh, but this was your I first didn't. time. Yeah, this was your first time experience, right? Yeah, with I, Melle Meinart. Yeah, yeah. Melle Meinart. Yeah, it was it was quite quite weird actually, and I was a bit doubtful as well. I, I must I must admit uh, um, to 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 work with someone who visualizes things. I generally like to write or make schemes if that is also can be part of the uh, of what what we what we have to do to clarify um, our thoughts but but i must admit that that after the f- the first uh, presentations of of how she understood uh, our persona we wrote them down so mm-hmm. so we, we made descriptions of of them mm-hmm. um i was i was i was very excited uh, and also it helped me thinking about the differences thinking of uh, of of putting visual language to these do these descriptions and it also also helped me uh, in the same way that schemes or graphs help you help you it, mm. it it structures your your thoughts and it was also it was also a lot of fun that's yeah. also quite important yeah. but <laughs> yeah. yeah so so it was wild but but i i i really enjoyed it <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and um, and um, yeah, what she also did was uh, focus on what does open science mean in a um, how can you make it visual? And she came up with this um, circles that go around each other, and then you can make them open or not, or you can create an opening or not. So that's also all something that will be uh, published also in the show notes in a f- in some time. But um, there's also a second part uh, that's an answer to your question. These visualizations are going to help us to get people to think about themselves and also think about their position in teams, but also think about how these different positions can help them uh, talk about universities we just um, we just envisioned. So it's going to be, I would say, it's going to be a tool. A game. Uh, maybe like. even oh yeah maybe even a game so that's also open for discussion hey? we are now in the process of the development of uh, how can we um, how, yeah of of how can we make as much use as possible of these results and i would also say that one important aspect of what this is is that not only that it's something for the future but it's also a record you know let's keep it up let's keep, stick to our historian roots this is also uh, a record of a movement as it's taking place from within. Um, and a movement in the making. A movement in the making. Yeah, beautiful. beautiful. That sounds epic. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
one more question. I mean, art is great. Um, knowing what it, what how to work in teams is, is also nice. And of course, record keeping is important. But to me, this kind of sounds like a political struggle also. And those four ideal university almost sounds like different parties. So to me, this almost seems like we need a different structure in university to deal with those ideals. Um, something that is not really there yet in a, a, a forum or a way where we can discuss about this in a structured way, almost like politics. Yeah, okay, you say it right. You mentioned a forum. We need conversation and we need structures that, uh, or ways, I wouldn't say necessarily structures, but we need to ways to make that conversation possible. And I would say starting from the education, because we have to educate our students how to keep this discussion going. Yeah, and, and before making making decisions, also when again embracing open science, which I think is is quite a contested concept, so to so to speak, to think about about what specific persons persona uh, means in specific contexts in the specific discussions. So so what I what I also really hope that this does, and Susanna said it already, is is indeed a dialogue and to start talking about all right, where do I find myself? Do I think this is completely uh, b- rubbish? It's, it's bullshit. I, I think I disagree with all that has been said. Fine, uh, fine, fine to me. It, is, <laughs> yeah. it can also be a bit of a provocation. Also fine to me. But, but to think about how do I relate to my colleague uh, who's also an open science enthusiast? Do we indeed agree? And, and before addressing these, again, these boomer scientists uh, that don't, that, that doesn't all understand it and, and et cetera, et cetera. Mm. First, start also reflecting on, on what it is that, that we think is important and how, how, that, how that relates to what other think, others think is important. Mm. So I, I'm pretty sure that everybody who's listening to this episode has at one point during this hour thought, oh, maybe that's me. And that's, that's sort of mm-hmm. what you were going for in the yes. first place, I think. Yeah. Um, as you mentioned, uh, we'll put some stuff in the show notes. We'll uh, at least have one page for you to reference to uh, this project is not finished yet no i think that's it's wonderful that we got to speak about it in this phase because uh you guys can also be reached i think for for comments or suggestions so uh, yeah. susanna bloom and martijn van der meer you can both look them up martijn you work in uh, rotterdam right now mm-hmm. uh, susanna still works with us at utrecht university so you guys are open for comments and ideas i guess yes of course yeah and and uh, during the course of 2022 there will be at least uh, initial description of what you found and perhaps even a serious game yeah perhaps yeah perhaps it sounds <laughs> wonderful uh, we're really looking forward to the uh, to the visualization i think we can put them online before yeah. our christmas holidays wonderful yeah thanks for time thanks susanna this was it was really a great discussion before that i didn't have such a clear understanding of how open science is different um for me it kind of was this monolith but you really cleared this up that's it's really great thanks also to our listeners for sticking with us Enjoy the holidays and after that we will be back with the Open Science Monitor. See you then. You've been listening to the Road to Open Science podcast. The Road to Open Science is an initiative from the Utrecht Young Academy and supported by the Open Science Platform at Utrecht University. This episode was edited by me, Lieven Heremans. Please subscribe to the podcast feed to stay up to date. Ik heb een paar grapjes niet gemaakt die ik had willen maken. Zonde. (laughs) Ja, echt zonde.